Well, it's exciting. Our guest oh. today, um, yes. I've been looking so forward to this and uh, kind of a neat story. Uh, Tracy and I are, are, are longtime friends with Tim and Margie Hester. Tim's the executive pastor at Southeast. We actually long ago used to co-teach a young married Sunday school class together long, long ago. And we ran into Tim at Mark's Feed Store, one of our favorite places. Let's not talk too much about food this yeah. morning, but anyway... <laughs> Um, yeah, moving on, we ran into him, we got into a great conversation as we always do, and somehow he brought up um, our, our new friend Doug Cobb in his book, And Then the End Shall Come, and it was some things that were just really connecting with my heart, and I think will connect with your heart in an amazing way too. Doug's a, a businessman, has been a businessman, and is one of the elders at Southeast, isn't that awesome? and um, has started a ministry called The Finishing Fund that works in conjunction with finishing uh, the task, and maybe he'll tell a little more about this, but it's raising funds to be able to uh, give very specifically to the unengaged, unreached people groups of the earth. Anyway, amazing man, amazing brother in the Lord, would you give Doug Cobb a good new song welcome as he comes and shares this morning. Well, good morning, new song. It's great to be here with you this morning. Jeff, thank you for inviting me to do this. I love to have the chance to tell these stories to people, and uh, thank you for that, too. And um, uh, I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Southeast Christian. If I was there this morning, I'd be just getting ready to start teaching my Sunday school class. We're teaching through the book of Hebrews. We're the remedial class. We go really slow. Um, it takes us months to get through books of the Bible, but we just love God's Word so much. I wish my wife Gina was here this morning. She's in Nashville with our daughter and our newest grandson who was born in October. She got a chance to get away for the weekend, and so I said go. Uh, he was born on my 65th birthday. How's that for a great birthday present, huh? Couldn't be, couldn't, couldn't be better. Uh, Gina is a Bible study fellowship teaching leader. Does anybody know the ministry of Bible study fellowship? So you know I'm married to a colonel in the special forces. <laughs> it's really good for a hack Bible teacher like me to be married to somebody that knows the Bible like my wife Gina uh, does. This, book, this verse from Habakkuk chapter 1 Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. That, that verse was originally a warning. God gave it to the prophet to warn him, to warn the people of Judah that God was about to bring the Babylonians to bring judgment on them, something they didn't believe he would do even though he had told them many times that he would if they were disobedient to him. But I think that verse is as applicable to our day as it was to the people who first heard it a couple of thousand years ago. God is working today among the nations in an amazing way through his church to see his great commission completed around the world. And I think we live in days that should utterly amaze us, that we live in the most amazing days since Jesus walked the, walked the earth um, to, and, you know, I, I think that understanding, I hope that understanding what I'm going to explain over the next 30 minutes or so will help to encourage you, help you to be less 
discouraged and fearful and distracted by all the terrible things that we see going on around us in our culture. Plenty to be worried about, right? Politics, the economy, COVID, you name it. There's a whole long list of things. You know, I love Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. This morning, we're going to be talking about the eternal coming kingdom of, of God. So let me show you, let me tell you a story to start this off. Um, uh, I'm going to change the names here because this is going out over the internet and it'll be on, um, on the internet, so uh, I always use different names. But um, this is the story of a people group called the Grige people. Uh, that's a made-up name, but you wouldn't have heard of them if I used the real name. Um, a tiny little group of people that live high in the mountains of a Central Asian country, five villages, about 5,000 people. Um, and until recently, as far as we know, there had never been a single Jesus follower among the Grieg uh, people. In fact, for more than a thousand years, every Grieg person uh, would have been a Sunni Muslim. But a few years ago, uh, a group of new believers in the capital city of this country, they'd only been believers for a couple of years, were encouraged by their American friends who had brought the gospel to them that they could be the people who brought the gospel to the Grieg and to a group of other similar people groups in the mountains of their country. These people had only been believers for a couple of years. There were only a couple of hundred of them, but when they heard the challenge, they took it up and decided that they would try to do this. So they began to pray uh, praying and asking that God would show them favor and that when they went to this place, God would connect them with a person of peace in this place. You can't get to these villages in the winter, so they prayed all winter. And then in the spring and March of 2018, when they were able to go, they got in the truck and went, this road is so bad, people die on this road every year. We wouldn't probably even call it a road. It's more like a trail. Some of you have traveled, you know what these roads are like. But as they got close to the first Kriege village, they saw this man, uh, we'll call him Abdul, walking by the side of the road. And they'd come to meet people, so they said, well, let's stop and introduce ourselves. They did. They got out. They began to have conversation with Abdul. He was uh, with his cow and newborn calf, so it was a pretty good day for him. You know, he now had two cows. Um, and since they'd come to tell people about Jesus, they said, well, let's tell him about Jesus. And they began to tell them uh, him right there on the side of the road about Jesus. And as they shared the good news with him, he began to weep uh, really kind of uncontrollably, and they asked him, what's wrong? And he said, I have been carrying this burden of guilt and shame, and nobody has been able to tell me what to do with that. So they told him about our Savior, Jesus Christ. What does he do? He takes our guilt and shame. He took it to the cross with him. He took it to the tomb with him. It stayed there. It's buried and dead. And right there, by the side of the road that day, Abdul became the first follower of Jesus in the history of the world from the Grieg people. He said, you've got to come tell my wife and kids about this. Well, I guess we'll do that. We'll be happy to do that. So they went to his house. His wife is now a follower of Jesus. His children are now followers of Jesus. And um, he said, you can use my house as your base of operation. In fact, Abdul's house is now the first church among the Kriege. And today, about five years later, there are scores of believers among the Grieg. 
not only in the first village, but in the other villages as well. Many of them have been baptized. The gospel has come to the Grish people. Now, I, I tell you that story. Uh, it's, that's, you know, that's one man in one people group. But that's what God is doing everywhere in the world these days. I want to tell you more about that. He's, he's working to see this Great Commission task completed. Now, when we talk about the Great Commission, we talk about um, Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. And there's more. I don't mean to, I'm not diminishing what follows by leaving it out. I just want to focus on this part of the, the verse. To really understand that verse, we have to understand that word nation. Now, when we, we Jeff, uh, Jeff and I did this this morning, we laugh about this. When we think of the word nation, uh, we think of a country, United States or China or Germany, uh, Cuba. We think of a country. But in the Bible, that is not what that word means. In the Bible, the, when you see the word nation in the New Testament, the Greek word that's translated into nations is the word ethnos or ethne, E-T-H-N-O-S. And we have words in English that are found their roots in that word. You can probably guess what that word even means. You know, we, we have ethnicity and ethnic, and that describes a people who share a common background, right? So an ethnos is a, a people group, a group of people who share a common ancestry, geography, language, culture, history, um, an ethnos, a people group, an ethno-linguistic people group. And when the Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations, what it's telling us is go and give the good news, share the good news with every one of the world's Ethnos. Now, um, there's different people who study this and different databases that give us different numbers, but the one I work with from the Southern Baptists, uh, you can find it at peoplegroups.org if you want to look it up, says that there are something like 12,000 of these ethnos, ethne in the world, a bunch. Uh, only a couple of hundred countries, but 12,000 of these biblical nations. And God has told us, Jesus told us, to go and make disciples in every one of the 12,000. Now, we know where these nations came from. You can read the story of that in Genesis chapter 11. At the beginning of that chapter, uh, the, Moses writing that tells us that before, at the beginning of that chapter, the whole world had one language. All the people in the world were in one big people group together. But you remember what happened? Um, God had told them to fill the earth, to scatter. They didn't want to do that. They wanted to come to a, one place, a city, and build a tower. And because God is going to get his will done, uh, and because God wanted to protect people from the evil that would come from one world government, one world system, there at Babel, he confused their language and broke them apart from one group into thousands of these people groups. And from there, they scattered and filled the, the earth. We know today that these ethno, ethnos are scattered all around the world. Some countries only have a few. Some of these ethnos are huge. Um, the Han Chinese uh, are a people group, close to a billion, maybe more than a billion Han Chinese uh, in the world. Uh, some of them are tiny, just a few hundred people. And they're all over the place. A country I've been to many times um, and have done ministry in Nigeria about the size of Texas, has about 450 ethnos, ethne within its borders. Amazing, right? India has even more than that. Uh, some countries have a few, some countries have a lot. 
but 12,000 of them, and Jesus said, let's go and meet, uh, let's go and tell all of them the good news. Um, this is uh, uh, Genesis 11. Let me tell you another story. We'll call these people the Yardima people, and the, uh, the pretty lady on, the, on your right there, we'll call her Ruth. Um, the Yardima people live in a, um, an Asian country, mountainous Asian country, um, where until a few years ago, there were more than 50 uh, ethne who had never heard uh, the good news about Jesus. One of them was the Yardima people. The Yardima live high up in those mountains. The kind of the signature of the Yardima culture is their Hindu temple. They're very, very proud of it. Um, and uh, I have it on pretty good authority from people who would know that even today, it is still possible if you are wealthy enough to buy the daughter of a poor family and have her sacrificed in that temple to earn you favor with the, the gods. Very, very, very dark place. But when this young lady, Ruth, heard about the Yardima people and heard that nobody had ever been to them to tell them about Jesus, she went to her husband and said, I think we should be the ones to go do that. They live in the capital city of this country. And they began to pray about that and um, finally got on a bus and rode two days across the country and then had a long walk after that up to the Yardima village where Ruth began to prayer walk around the village of the Yardima and around the temple of the Yardima people. Three days she did that, and on the third day, the young lady on your left, we'll call her Una, came out from the temple, and they began to talk. And um, Ruth could tell that Una was depressed and discouraged. In fact, she felt like there was a spirit of suicide uh, hovering around her, and so she directly asked her about that, and she confessed that that was true and began to tell her about our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us hope and purpose in life. And as they talked, and as she explained this, Una became the first follower of Jesus among the Yardima people. Una told Ruth that her brother had been sick and had been sick for a long time and that nobody had been able to help. They'd been to the doctors, they'd prayed at the, at the temple, they'd offered animal sacrifices for him, nothing had worked. Ruth went and prayed over Una's brother and he was healed. And as a consequence of that, their parents became followers of Jesus. And the word spread, as you might think it would, when something like that happens, and many people in that place became Jesus followers. There is now a church among the Yardima people. Can you guess where it meets? In the walls, on the compound of that Hindu temple, in the temple, in the temple grounds. And so the gospel of Jesus has broken in to the Yardima people. Now, when Jesus gave this command, go and make disciples of all nations, it wasn't like he was thinking, you know, I'm going to be away for a while. I better give him something hard to do to keep him busy. Uh, no, when, when he gave that command, he was actually commanding them to make true something that God had already promised would be true all through his, his scriptures. Let's look at uh, a few of these things. If you begin in the book of Genesis, uh, God is speaking here to Abraham, the context of this is Abraham has just demonstrated his willingness to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac, at God's command. And you remember the story, God stops him from doing that. God provides a ram for the sacrifice instead. 
But God, is, you know, that was a test for our father Abraham, and he passed it beautifully. And God, because of his obedience, says to him, through your offspring, several promises, but one is, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, when he says your offspring, who's he talking about? That's Jesus, who many, 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 many generations later, humanly speaking, is the offspring of Abraham. And you notice there, it's the same thing we saw in Jesus' command. It's, again, all nations, everyone. So that's Genesis. If you flip all the way over to the book of Revelation, you see the same thing. Again, this is John in his vision, and he sees this vision of a great crowd gathered around the throne of God, uh, and he says it was from every, what, nation, tribe, language, and people, and they were praising God, standing around the throne and praising him. I'm very encouraged by this verse. This verse is the biblical equivalent for me of watching a game on TV that I already know the final score to. Do you ever do that? Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, late in the game, your team fumbles and you think, I don't know how they're going to win, but I already know the score. They've got to come back. It just makes it kind of more exciting to see how, how it will actually be accomplished. This verse encourages me because this, this is the final scoreboard. This is God showing us that his promises will be completed. But it's not just in Genesis and, and Revelation. It's really all through the scriptures. So, you know, here it is in the Psalms. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. It's in the, the prophets. Uh, you know, Isaiah, it's too small a thing for you, the Messiah, to be my witness, you know, to my servant to uh, the tribes of Jacob and to bring back all in Israel. I have kept, no, I will make you a light for the nations that my glory, uh, my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's, it's there in uh, the book of Daniel. Daniel has this vision of one like a son of man. This is where Jesus gets that name that he uses over and over for himself. Coming on the clouds and on the, you know, the clouds of heaven, he was given authority and power over what? All nations and peoples of every language. It's in uh, the book of Malachi. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. Where is that? How much is that? That's the whole thing. Uh, it, you know, from where it rises, that's the east from the west. Um, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. We even find this promise in uh, the New Testament. Peter has been called to the house of Cornelius, who's a Gentile. Um, and he's really, he's really sketchy about this. I mean, this is very culturally tricky for him. He doesn't know quite how to process this. What does God do? He sends his Holy Spirit on these people these Gentiles. Oh my goodness, can you imagine such a thing? And Peter uh, says in response, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from what? Every nation, those who fear God, um, the one who fears him and does what is, what is right. So we see that promise that God has made that his salvation is for the whole world. It's for every one of the 12,000 ethnos in the in the world and we are living in the days when that is rapidly becoming true really i think the most amazing days since jesus walked the earth i want to show you one more thing about this in ephesians chapter two now um if you've read the book of ephesians if you've studied it like a lot of um the new testament churches the church at ephesus was a divided church it was made up of two different groups of people 
there were Jewish background followers of Jesus in that church, and there were Gentile followers of Jesus in that church. And these people had grown up not liking each other at all. The Gentiles thought the Jews were kind of religious weirdos, you know, with all the food and dress and all the things that they did. The Jews thought the Greeks were filthy pagans, you know, uh, you know they really didn't have any any love for them at all. And here they were coming together every Sunday and sitting next to each other in the, in the church, and it creates issues, right? I mean, that's just a hard thing for people to get by. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul is explaining to them the amazing miracle that God is doing in them as he uh, is bringing them together there. And you see, he says, for he's our peace who's destroyed this dividing wall of hostility that has separated us one from another. And what he's doing is he's creating in himself one new person from the two. And in that one body, what does it say? He's going to reconcile both of them to God. Now, here's what I think that verse is about. Here's what I think God is saying. That even though he was the one who divided the nations way back there in Genesis 11, that his ultimate purpose has always been to reunite them under the headship of Jesus Christ. And that ultimately, that body that he's creating, that body of Christ, will include people from every one of those nations that he created so long ago. That God is, in effect, undoing Babel through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that everything will be united, ultimately, under the headship and the glory of, uh, of Jesus. Um, you know, um, I love the fact that we serve a God that only that does things that only he can do. Can you imagine how, how audacious it is to claim that you're going to wreck the dividing walls of hostility that, ex, that divide people from people? You know, we have our own flavor of this in the United States, right? Um, for us, it's black versus white. You know, that's kind of our ethnic division. That's not really ethnos, but it, it, you know, it's, it looks the same. But we're, we're amateurs at this compared to some people in the world. Uh, everywhere you go in the world, Jeff can testify to this, he's been a lot of places, everywhere you go in the world, the one hates the other. The one fears the other. The one resents the other. And it's reciprocated. All of these nations are divided from each other, and most often they're at war with each other, in, in enmity with, with each other. What an audacious claim to make that you're going to put an end to all racism, all ethnic hatred in the world. Nobody can do that except for our God. What a ridiculous claim it is to think that you're somehow going to unite all 12,000 of these people groups under one head. But our God is the one who can accomplish that. You know, um, I think sometimes uh, that all and every I love so much um, because it means that when this is over, there will not be one place on the planet where God's name is not declared and glorified. When the final scoreboard is up, it will be God 12,000, Satan zero. Uh, isn't that good? Do, do you know what that scoreboard said at the beginning, by the way? God zero, Satan 12,000. You know, all the nations were in the, you know, under the prince of this world, as uh, the Bible tells us, right? God started with Abraham and created a nation for himself, the nation of Israel. That was the first one. 
and then through that brought Jesus into the world and then began this process of reclaiming for himself what had been stolen from him by the enemy. And when it's all said and done, it will be 12,000 to to zero. What a great comeback. Anybody stay up and watch that football game last night? This comeback makes that one way, you know, way, way less, right? Um, Oh, one more thing I want to say about this. Um, The world is always at work trying to create this one world unification apart from the power of God. We see this, uh, we have seen this all through history. You know, this is what Hitler wanted to do. This is what Napoleon, Genghis Khan, everybody wants to, everybody wants to rule the world. I think there was a song like that, right? Um, uh, this has been the, uh, the desire. And we see this impulse very strongly in our day. In fact, I think that we're moving toward the time, the one time in history when this actually will be accomplished apart from God. The Bible says that there will be a one world empire under the headship of someone called the Antichrist. Uh, That will be accomplished finally at the end. The good news is that only lasts for a very short time and then the kingdom of God will come and sweep that artificial kingdom away. Let me tell you another, another story here. Uh, these, we'll call these people the Topang people. They live in a Southeast Asian country, very mountainous country. Every mountain you go over, there's another people group, hundreds of people groups, well, over 100 people groups in this little country. And most of them had never heard about Jesus until within the last four or five years. Uh, the Topang uh, were one of these. They are animist people, which means they worship the spirits. Uh, But a few years ago, uh, an effort began to take the gospel to all of these people groups in this country, and two young men were assigned this group, so they got on their motorbike and rode way out in the middle of nowhere in their country to this place, and when they got there, they were uh, fortunate to be connected by the Spirit to a woman named Ham, who was a village leader, and she began to tell them about the, the poverty, the drug addiction, Uh, the hopelessness of their place. And she told them as they talked that um, she said, we feed the spirits, but we're still poor, sick, and sad. I don't think the spirits can really save us. So they told her about the king of the spirits, Jesus Christ, the ruler over the spirit world, and that he actually can save them and deliver them from the things that oppress uh, and enslave them. And there, in that first conversation, Ham became the first follower of Jesus among the Topang people. This is her family, uh, who are all now following Jesus, and there is now a church there among the Topang for the first time in, in history. So let me just make sure that we summarize this part of this because I want now to move into telling you a little bit about where we stand with this stuff. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of every nation, he was telling us, his church, to go and make true what God had already promised to the world. That his gospel was for every people group in every place in the, in the world. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for a handful of people around the Mediterranean. It's for the entire world, for all nations. We live, and we're living in the days when that is being accomplished. So let's talk about where we stand with this. So Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. 
One way to think about this Great Commission task, I really like this little model. If you struggle kind of to think about the Great Commission, this little model might help you, and it preaches really well. So if you ever get asked to talk about it, three Bs of the Great Commission, okay? So three points, they all start with a B. I don't know if you do that, Jeff, but a lot of Southern Baptists are tied to that model. And um, so uh, think about the Great Commission as having three Bs, believers in every people group on the planet, the Bible in every language on the planet, and a church, a body of Christ, in every place on the planet, every village, every neighborhood, every suburb, every ward of every city on the the planet. Believers in every people group, the Bible in every language, a body of Christ in every place. Now, the part of this that uh, I have been privileged, whoops, sorry, to work on is uh, these 12,000 people groups that exist worldwide. Um, uh, Jeff mentioned the Finishing Fund, which is a ministry that God led me to start about five years ago uh, to kind of serve as a way to accelerate the effort to get the gospel to all of these 12,000. So let me give you a sense about where we stand in that effort. I've been working on this now for about five years. You can divide all those 12,000 groups into three kind of general categories, three clusters, right? So at the top of the stack would be the reached world. You live in the reached world. Not everybody's a Christian, but there's lots of Christians, lots of churches, lots of places that you can go worship God. You hear about God and Jesus all the time. You know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a common thing in the reached world. Below that would be the world we call the unreached world. And in the unreached world, <clears throat> there are some Christians and some uh, churches, but not very many. Uh, typically, the boundary between unreached and reached is about 2% of the population. So these would be unreached places would be places with less than 2% followers of Jesus. That makes it sound, you know, kind of clinical. Let me give you an example of that. So think about the country of Turkey. The main people group in Turkey are the Turks. Uh, 50, 60 million Turks. Um, maybe, maybe 50,000 Jesus followers, maybe only 10. You know, it's really hard to know. But 50,000 divided by 50 million is 0.1%, right? So, is, so the Turks are a reached people group, but most Turks have never met anybody who would call on the name of Jesus. They've never had a chance to hear. So there's work to do, lots of it among the unreached. But at the very bottom of the stack are these, uh, are these groups we call the unengaged, or Jeff was saying the unengaged, unreached. I just used unengaged. It's just kind of easier to, to say. Um, these would be people groups that no one has ever gone to to tell them about Jesus, where there is not a single follower of Jesus, no church, no light of the gospel at all. These are places that are completely in darkness without any awareness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of them are Muslim, and in the Muslim groups, they may know the name of Jesus, Isa, they would call him, uh, as a prophet, but not as the Son of God, not as a, a Savior. So reached, unreached, unengaged. So let me show you where we are with this. When, when I first started getting involved in this stuff back in 2005, there were about 3,500 unengaged people groups in the world to the best of our knowledge. So out of 12,000, 3,500, well, what would that be? 30%, something like that? So 30% of the world's people groups, still nobody had been to them to tell them about Jesus. 
But just um, 12 years later, in 2017, uh, to the best of our understanding, that number was down to about 1,450 people groups. It was amazing. Think about 2,000 years to get the first um, 8,500 groups engaged, and then in just another 12 years, uh, 1,500 got engaged, right? So the pace was speeding up quite a lot. Today... And this is what I work on every day, so I'm going to give you my best understanding of this. There are about uh, 83 people groups left that are unengaged with the gospel. Now, there's another 100 or so where someone has gone to them and is there, but there's no fruit yet. So if you wanted to say 200 without gospel presence, that would be fine. But in 120 of those, there would be people there working and, and trying, telling the story of Jesus, waiting for that first breakthrough But only 83 remain that no one, as far as we know, has been to to tell them about Jesus. Folks, that is an amazing thing. Um, By God's grace, uh, I believe that we will be able to be started in all of those groups this year. Now, that won't mean that the projects are finished or that there be believers in all of them. That may be that somebody, we may have missionaries walk into a village on December 31st for the first time, right? And so, you know, we're going to be working really hard this year to see this happen. But, you know, by God's grace, I believe that is possible, and that is what I'm praying to see him, to see him do. Isn't, isn't that an amazing thing to, to, think about, uh, to think about that? You know, so think about where we stand in this, you know. You can read about this effort in the book of Acts, the beginnings of it. When Jesus told those men to go do this chore, they set out to go do this chore. And so you read about, you know, first the church is in just in Jerusalem, right? And then Philip goes up and shares with the Samaritans, and there's now a Samaritan church. And then uh, Peter, we talked about the story that he goes to Uh, the Gentiles there in Caesarea and shares the gospel there and they become followers of Jesus. And then there's a church in Antioch that we read about and that church decides it's going to send out Paul and Barnabas and they go to Turkey or Asia Minor in those days, Turkey and Greece and even Italy and Europe, Spain maybe later in Paul's life. And so you see how this story unfolds in the book of Acts. But you know, if you've ever studied the book of Acts, uh, you can, I'll, I can, you know, I'll tell you, I, you may have seen this yourself, that it kind of ends in the middle of the story. It kind of ends abruptly. Uh, Paul is in jail, but we know he got released, and we know he traveled around some more, and he, got, he, told some, you know, he, he wrote some more letters. We think maybe he went to Spain. Um, why did the Holy Spirit decide to just take it to that point and just stop it right there? And I think the reason is, is that he was saying, it's up to you to write the rest of this book. And I don't know which chapter of the book of Acts we're writing now, chapter 5,752 maybe, but I think it's very possible that it's the very last one and that the story of this worldwide spread of the kingdom of God is, clo- is coming quickly to a, to, a, uh, to a close. Now, if you think about the... Um, the well, let me tell you another story. These stories are so good. Um, this is a people group uh, called the Gorose people. I could actually use their real name because uh, they are in a country, Ethiopia, that is not a closed country to the gospel. Ethiopia has a long gospel history. Uh, you read about the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, right? Um, 
they think in Ethiopia that there's been a church in Ethiopia since the New Testament times. Unfortunately, though, the established church there, the, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, is not very evangelical and kind of a little, you know, uh, corrupted, and um, it has not been doing a great job of reaching out to the minority people groups in that country, of which there are a number. One of them is the Gorose. They live in a mountainous area in kind of west-central Ethiopia, and as far as we know, until last year, there had never been a single Jesus follower among the Gorose people. As far as we know, nobody had ever been to tell them the good news. But last year, an Ethiopian lover of Jesus climbed that mountain and went to that village and began to meet people there. And he met these two folks, these, this husband and wife, and their little boy, whose name is Getanet. It's kind of an odd name for us, but Getanet who had been paralyzed for almost since birth for about four years. He couldn't speak. He couldn't walk. You can see how small he is. He's about six or seven years old now. Um, his parents had tried everything. They'd been to the doctors. They'd been to the priests. They'd been to the shaman. They'd tried everything, and nothing had worked. Our friend, the missionary, said, May I pray for him in the name of Jesus? And he did that and Jesus healed him. Um, and, and when Jesus healed him, of course, his mother and father began to praise the name of Jesus. You'd do that if God healed your little boy. And, um, and people in the village took notice. There are now hundreds of Jesus followers just in a year's time among the Gorose. And there's a great story. I'm sorry, I don't have the picture of it this morning of a group of Gorose who brought their, their spiritus charms and fetishes and burned them one day together because we don't do that anymore. We now follow Jesus. I'm told that no one told them to do that, that the Spirit just moved in them to, to, make that, to, to do that. Right out of the book of Acts, right? What's what happened in Ephesus, you know, when, uh, when all of those books were, were, uh, were destroyed. Um, so, uh, now, you know, one question would be, why is this happening in our day? You know, what is it about our day that is making this happen? And there's a number of good reasons for that. I mean, one of them is we've got great research now. We know where these groups are. Um, you know, we've really, we've only known the majority of this information in the last maybe 30, 40 years. So, I mean, that, that's a huge help. We have huge technological advantages, um, you know, just the ability to travel, is so much great. You know, when um, the first missionaries from England went to India back in the 19th century, 150 years ago, it took them months on a boat to make that journey. In early June, I went to India for a five-day trip. I flew out on a Monday night, arrived on a Tuesday night. I worked Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Friday night, I got back on a plane, and I was back home Saturday night. We are advantaged in this in incredible ways. Part of it is we have better techniques and approaches to church planting. We understand better how to tell the story in ways that people can connect with it in different cultures and relate to it. But by far, the most important reason for this is that the Holy Spirit is moving with power around the world to accomplish these things that God has declared would be, would be true. Uh, I think he's impatient because I think he knows the time is very short. 
In fact, I sometimes imagine him standing in a village with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, saying, where are you guys? I've got it all teed up for you. If you just show up here, then amazing things would begin to, to happen. But more and more, we are being obedient to that call and making that happen. Now, we talked about the three Bs. I talked to you about the first B, believers, and I think we will be very close to that goal this year. It may take another year or two, but I mean, it's, we're really close. By God's grace, I believe that's achievable. But the other two are a little further away, but even they are not very far away. Uh, the people who work hard on Bible translation have set 2033 is their year, uh, what they call their all-access goal, that scripture would be available in all of the world's languages by 2033. And the people that are working on planting churches have a similar deadline, 2033, some even sooner, uh, to see the three or four million additional churches that we need to see planted, planted. So even if the first B finish line isn't the finish line, even if God wants us to see all these tasks completed, I think we're only a handful of years away. It's 2023 now, 10 years away from seeing that uh, accomplished. We live in amazing times, and we are rapidly approaching this great commission finish line. Now, let me wrap up kind of by explaining why I think this matters. I mean, one reason this matters is because we want to be obedient to Jesus. He told us to do this. We should go do it. And it should be enough that he told us to do it to make us do it, right? Um, that should be our, uh, it should be sufficient. My wife says about me that my favorite thing in the world is checking something off a to-do list. Anybody can relate to that? Anybody here who's so pathological, you've put something on a to-do list that you've already done so you can check it off? Yeah, okay. We'll have a support group, okay? Um, uh, but, you know, those things, we're beginning to see that that's, those things happen around, uh, around the world. These, these check marks, these things are getting finally uh, accomplished. But um, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, that's not a random thing that he just said in the middle of some speech about other things. At the beginning of that chapter, if you study Matthew chapter 24, in verse 3, his disciples ask him a very direct question. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? In other words, they're asking him, when are you coming back? And through that chapter, he explains a number of things that will happen before or contemporaneously with his return. You've studied this chapter, you've read it, wars and rumors of war, disease, apostasy in the church, you know, all kinds of really dreadful things. But in verse 14, this is the most direct answer he gives to the question. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When will the end come? He said, well, I've given you a job to do, to go tell all the ethnos about me, and when you've finished, I'll come back. Now, if it's true that we are rapidly approaching the finish line of the Great Commission, could it also be true that we are rapidly approaching the return of Jesus? I personally think that we are. I think there are a number of other biblical reasons to think that that might be true as well. We don't have time to go into those this morning. If you want me to come back sometime, I'll be happy to come back and we'll go through the biblical clues that I talk about in my, in my book about that. Now, 
We always need to be cautious about this because if no other reason, this verse here in Second uh, Peter that promises that God is not slow, but he's very patient. And he has a huge heart for the lost. And he wants everyone to have as much opportunity as possible to come back. So I think it's possible that even after every nation is engaged and after the Bible is translated and after there's churches everywhere, that God may just hold on for a little while longer because his heart is so big for, for the lost. But eventually, uh, Jesus is going to come back. And I believe finishing this task will be the thing that will open the door to seeing that happen. So, you know, I, I, um, I think that we live in the most amazing days since Jesus walked the earth, not just because we're going to finish the Great Commission by God's grace, but because we could be the generation that actually sees the return of Jesus. Do you know how people have longed for that throughout history? How people have hoped for that, who had no chance of seeing it happen, who people have worked toward that goal to accomplish that? But you know, I know this for certain, even if it's not us, there will be a generation that will see that day. The Bible talks about it. And those people will not have to experience death. They will transition directly from life in this world to life in the new world. And they will see things that people have been hoping to see. I would love to be a part of that generation. And I would love to see that happen. Oh, God, would that be possible? Come, Lord Jesus, we would, we would pray. Now, if that's true for us, we need to be thinking about the kind of people we want to be if we are the, the welcoming committee for our Lord Jesus when he comes back. Uh, I love this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3. That, verse, that chapter of 2 Peter is all about the return of Jesus, the coming judgment. This is where you see that, you know, that in the, in the last days there'll be scoffers who'll say, where is his coming? This is where we hear about God's, you know, patience, you know, uh, a, day is, a thousand years is like a day. It's all here in 2 Peter chapter 3. But in verses 11 and 12, Peter asks a, a rhetorical question and then answers it. And he gives us really some good guidance about the kind of people we want to be. He says, since everything is going to be destroyed, since Jesus is coming back, since judgment is coming, what kind of people ought we to be? And he tells us four things that we need to be focused on. First, he says we need to be holy and godly. We need to be looking forward to the day of God, and we need to be speeding its coming. So let's take a minute to break down those four things and think about those things. So holy, you know, holy, we think of it as meaning kind of spiritual and sacred, and that's true. But the original idea of holy is holy is uh, set apart, distinctive, different. God is holy because he is transcendent. He is not a part of this creation. He's different in every way from the, the creation that we, we live in. And folks, we have an unbelievable opportunity to be dis- different and distinctive in this culture that is going to hell right around us. Um, to shine like light in a dark culture. Not to be condescending or condemning of our friends who are caught up in all of this craziness and confusion, but to shine like light so that they see that there's something different about us and that we can explain to them, hey, you know what? We have a solid place to stand. They're all standing on sand. They got no place to stand. We can show them that we're different and distinctive. So we want to be bright and shining in this, in this time. Godly 
When I think of that, you know, I, I, think of, um, I think it was Philip asking Jesus, show us the Father. You remember when he did that? Remember what Jesus said? Well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so if we want to be godly, we want to be more and more like our Lord Jesus. And as I think about that, I just think about the fruit of the Spirit. More loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind. All of the things that uh, we read about in the Scripture are the fruit of his work in our lives. The Bible promises that God is conforming each of us as followers of Jesus to his image. He's making you into a little Jesus. And it promises that he will be faithful to complete the work that he has done in you. That will be accomplished. Hard as that is to believe sometimes, I know for me. Um, But we need to be working hard toward that if we're only a few years away from seeing his return. Looking forward, you know, this is a challenging one for us because... We live in the safest, richest, freest place that has ever existed on the planet. It may be a little safe, free, and rich than it was a couple of years ago, but it's still beyond the wildest dreams of most people who have ever lived. Just ordinary life in the, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s in the United States of America was beyond what kings could have experienced hundreds of years before that. And because of that, it can be difficult for us to think about heaven being better than what we already have. Yeah, life's pretty good, you know, got plenty to eat, you know, I got a roof over my head, you know, plenty of of, um, everything I need, and um, we do not want to have that attitude. No matter how good your life is, or how good you hope it's going to become, we're all looking forward to stuff, and those things all, you know, are sources of joy for us, but no matter what you're holding out for, Your life here does not begin to compare to even one day in the kingdom of God. The the Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man imagined what God has in store for those who love him. I mean, literally, whatever you imagine heaven's going to be like, it's going to be better than that because it says you can't imagine how great it's going to be. I can imagine some pretty amazing things. I hope I'm going to be able to fly. I hope I'll be able to speak every language so that I can talk to everybody, you know. I mean, these are amazing things. Well, I guess those will be part of it, but it'll be even better than that because it says that I can't even imagine how great it's going to be. We want to be people who are looking forward to the return of Jesus. I just want to say one thing, though. Um, That's true for those of us who love Jesus and are following him. But if you're here this morning and you don't know him, now is the time to make the decision to follow him. We are living in a period, an era of virtually unlimited grace and mercy. All that is required is just that we believe that he is who he claimed to be and we receive the gift that he has given to us through his death and his resurrection. That's all that's required. But when he returns... We're going to move from an era of grace and mercy to an era of judgment. And the Bible says it's going to be a woeful time for the people who have to experience that, who are not in in the family of Jesus, not in that body of Christ. So I would just urge you, if you don't know Jesus, don't leave today without making that decision. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you hope and purpose. You'll have a new family in in the church. Uh, You'll have the excitement of being a part of these things, of looking forward to his coming. 
Don't let today go by without today being the day you decide to do that. If you'd like to talk about that more afterwards, you're welcome to come up and talk to me about this. And then there's this last piece, um, speeding its coming. That's kind of mysterious, isn't it? I mean, doesn't God already know when Jesus is coming back? What can we do to speed his coming? My answer to that question is the mission that I've taken on for my life, which is let's finish the Great Commission. If Jesus said, I'll come back when you're done, let's get done. Now, we can all have a part in that. Um, every one of us can pray. And this is a spiritual battle. It requires prayer. It happens by prayer. The Bible says it is not by might nor by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That is how this is happening. I told you the main reason this is happening is the spirit is moving. We can all pray and ask for God to move with power in the world to finish this task. Some of us can go. Some of you may have decided to go. Some of you may be preparing for that. That's great. You know, take it on. Be a part of making it happen. For some of you, this means giving. It means you know, giving sacrificially to support all the great missionaries that your church is involved with. I'm so excited to see that. For a small church, you have a big impact in the world. That is impressive. And it, it, Congratulations. You should, you should be proud and thankful for that. But all of us should take a role in seeing this happen because it is the thing that I believe will usher in the return of our, of our Lord. The Bible calls the return of Jesus our blessed hope. It will make true all of the things we've been hoping for. The Bible says that we will see him face to face, that he'll never leave us once he comes back. Promises that we're going to get new spiritual bodies that won't ever get sick or get old. No more death, no more crying, no more mourning. God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's going to come live with us. Do you know that? In the new Jerusalem, his throne will be there. The tree of life will be there. We'll never get old. We'll never get sick. The river of life will be flowing from his throne. He wants to make true all the things that he's promised for us, and that's going to happen when he comes back. So let's be people who are looking forward to that day and speeding its coming. So we live in the most amazing time since Jesus walked the earth. The Great Commission task that he gave us is rapidly coming to a conclusion, and I believe that's going to open the door for the first time in 2,000 years to the return of Jesus. And so I pray, come, Lord Jesus. Would you all pray with me? Oh, Father God, thank you for the privilege you have given us to be a part of this generation. Thank you that we live in a time like this when we have resources and uh, capabilities that our forefathers would have, couldn't have imagined. Father, thank you for the wealth that you've given us um, as Americans. Thank you for the, the freedom that you've given us. But Father, let us be wise about putting that to work for your kingdom and let us be wise about not falling in love with that, that we want to be people who are eager to see your son. Yes. Father, we pray that you would be working with power around the world to claim for yourself what you have already chosen for yourself, to call out of the, the last remaining people groups, those that are yours, finish this body that you have been building for 2,000 years, Father, and send your son back to be with us, we pray. We thank you for the possibility of these things, for the confidence that we have that they will happen and the possibility that we may be the ones to witness that. 
And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all.